You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Belong here. Understand that. You belong here. That's the biggest thing we have to understand here is that we belong here. And we take off from there. Pucking around. around. Welcome back to Pucking Around here on Sports Radio Detroit. I'm Jason Pinkham, and I'm here today with the franchise, Steve Height. And we're here today to discuss the last two weeks of the NHL, but primarily we will be discussing a big topic that is on everybody, the tip of everybody's tongue. Before we get started, Steve, how are you, man? Doing good, doing good, man. Just going over all the Seattle stuff and seeing what's been going on the last few weeks of the NHL. We actually finally had some... GMs get fired and et cetera. <laughs> yeah, of course. The the curse of our show is whenever we do something. Hours. Every t- yeah. 12 hours after our Literally show. Literally 12 hours after we dropped it. But before we get started, I want to do a little bit of promo for my partner. Uh, you have a new show called Fragging Out that I think is really fucking awesome that I think uh, you should use your platform here to give a little bit of self-promo for. Oh, okay. Well, um, the actual audio hasn't been put up yet. That's kind of my fault. I had to re-edit some aspects of it. But uh, basically, it's a gaming podcast we talk about all things gaming and we do a little bit esports stuff in there too this last time this last episode we talked a little bit about the overwatch league and kind of the the popularity of that because it's going into season two pretty soon um we talked about some holiday stuff uh, the nintendo switch just those are kind of the broad things that we talk about on the show i really enjoy gaming it's kind of been one of those things outside of hockey in the nhl that i thoroughly invest my time into doing as as a hobby because i, I don't get to play as much hockey right now with uh, some health things but gaming is just kind of like a lifestyle thing it's just one of the things that's hugely popular now with a lot of people so i figured i would capitalize on that maybe a little bit and do a podcast Why not? and i'm not just promoting it just because you're my partner i'm promoting it because i actually really like the show i mean i, I genuinely listened to it uh, i think it was uh the thursday before this past and yep. i like that it's like a conversation it's not structured it's not rigid you're not sticking to any one specific arena you know you guys are just having a conversation about things you love and like you getting into them and kind of cutting into where you need where you need to. Yeah, that's that's the whole premise of a lot of the the like the style in which I like to do things. It's just more conversational because I feel like if you're just sitting there talking at people, people are not going to want to listen to that. It's it's more like you just want to be relatable. And and I know if I love it, I'm not the only one who's going to love it. No, it's it's very good. And anybody who listens, please go check that out when that goes up. The 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 Twitch is live on uh, Josh's Twitch, right? Yeah, on uh, positive entropy one e. Yeah, he says that <laughs> every time I too. It. I like how he triggers it like that too. It's almost like, uh, like it's programmed like Pavlovian positive entropy one e. Like <laughs> yeah, and then if you go to my Twitter, I'm sure I retweeted his his Twitch every time he goes live. So if you need to go back category, it, it'll be there. Yeah, cool. Okay, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Make sure they make sure that got its its proper due. Let's uh, run down our topic list real quick and then dive into some of these. Obviously, first thing on the day is Seattle getting a new team. I mean, that's going to be the bulk of our show because I have a couple of things to say about that, both positive and negative. And then we have a little bit of a, a color theory to play with in regards to what they're going to be doing. Uh, number two on the docket is Tom Wilson meeting Karma Incarnate. 
in the per, in the form of Ryan Reeves. We'll get into that. Uh, next is, of course, the 12 hours after we talked about how GMs don't get fired. A GM got fired, Ron Hextall, fired in Philadelphia. Uh, second to last will be Nylander signing, ending the saga on this show, thankfully. Uh, but I do have some questions for you being the Toronto fan and also having a little bit more of a grasp on his impact with that team and you know his value. And last but not least, Phil Kessel. Uh, the rumors are swirling about as strongly as they were each time he's been traded. Uh, the question I'll ask is, should we believe them and then what does he retrieve? But let's start with Seattle because here we are again uh, facing another expansion in a league that, you know, you know, my love for our love for it aside, we've discussed this both off air and on air, a league that is not big enough, I think, to continue expanding. And <clears throat> they're going to 32 to even it out, which I respect in some regards, even it out, make sure the playoff chances are even on both sides of the conferences. But you know, I I don't know how I feel about this right now. I mean, my my gut instinct is, I said it over on Spinning the Wheels, that I don't like the dilution of the talent pool. And that's kind of what I thought we might disagree on. But I also like, you know, getting a team in Seattle because I think Seattle is a very, like, vivacious fan base. You saw what, you've seen what they've done with the Seahawks, who, you know, 10 years ago were mostly irrelevant. And then once they get the chance to be relevant, that they're there, you know, the 12th man and all that stuff. So... I like that aspect, but I what I don't like and what genuinely scares me is a, a further dilution of a talent pool that is already fairly thin and doesn't have an easy buy-in, so it's very difficult to get into. So, where do you stand on this? What do you, what do you how do you feel about Seattle? I think location-wise, it's probably going to be a home run. I mean, I was thinking that Vegas was probably not going to be the best, and it surprised me about verver and just how how passionate the fan base is and i mean especially the first season was successful as it was you know i think they're getting more realistic expectations now that this season is happening how it's happening but to see the expansion process working and not costing i think is an excellent thing to see um the dilution of the talent pool thing i think is always a it's like an iffy subject because you don't want to have like 40 teams in the in the NHL. Like I don't want to ever see that kind of a thing. But at the same point, I think there's always going to be talent and there's always going to be able to be talent in the league because X amount of people are playing and and there's X amount of people in the minor league system that probably could be on the NHL team right now that don't have roster spots because like for instance, we can put the local spin on it. Detroit for how many years never brought anybody up, and half of those kids that were in the AHL and the OHL sitting back another year could be on an NHL team and be prosper and and, and profit from that and 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 contribute to an NHL roster probably in a positive manner. So I think that's kind of hard to just kind of be like it's a waste of that because, like I said, I think thirty two is a good number still. It's not like forty. We're not having 45. It, it's not like some of these like English Premier Soccer League teams where you have like 50 teams in a league and it just like 10 of them just don't matter. I mean, it, realistically in the NHL, if we're being honest, maybe two of these teams don't matter. But if you move that roster to another city, I think the organization and the business behind it would be more successful. So I don't think it's necessarily the talent side of things that's the negative on that aspect. See, I, I actually, I'll, 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 I'll agree with you while disagreeing with you because I think they're learning. I think you're right when in regards to the organization and the business standpoint. There's a lot less failure than there used to be in the NHL, uh, Arizona notwithstanding. There's a lot less failure on the whole than there used to be in the NHL. They're they're tempering expectations. What scares me is, you know, I actually disagree with you on the current 
talent pool. Like I think it's probably closer to six or eight teams are currently mostly irrelevant or marginal at best. You know, they, they, they guys under, you know, we get wins and overtime wins, but it's not relevance to me. And that's, that's, that that's the point system favors that because they want to be marketable. And, you know, it comes to a matter of like, would I prefer marketability over actual competition? No, not in any, not in any world. And, you know, we, I believe I'm a firm believer that we got to the current state we did through the the last draft. And if you do it again, yes, the argument can always be made. There's probably we'll say north of 20 players in the minor league systems around the league, maybe even 50 tops that could maybe make an NHL roster and then probably 10 of them are good players and like 3 of them are great that we don't know about yet. That being said, I don't think that's enough to sustain yet another team being brought into the league when we already have so many teams that are, you know, mostly irrelevant. And we have a playoff system that favors that. You know, we have a playoff system that, you know, there's so many articles coming out right now. Like New York Post wrote a scathing article about how, you know, you have second round is almost guaranteed to be Jets Predators, even though that should be the conference final because of the way it's seeded. So, you know, we're, we're favoring even more bad matchups in the first round great matchups in the second round and then weak matchups in the conference final. So that does scare me legitimately. I, I don't want to see teams where it's like, who cares about Arizona? Who cares about, you know, right now who cares about Detroit? Yeah, they got a couple of wins, but they're not a relevant team. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, that's the whole thing. When you're talking about this, you're, you're basically masking the point of what the actual problem is. The actual problem is the format in which the points are given out. It's not even the roster. That's my whole point, though. You can add more teams, more players, but the problem is the way that the league is associating the distribution of points per ties and the format of the playoff system, which I kind of agree. The format system with the whole wildcard thing is just they try to make it cool and be like yada yada with the whole division change, but if anything, why don't they just expand it? Just expand it. Have more teams in there. So that way, when you get to the later round, the better teams obviously should still be there. Like like this last year, the Eastern Conference Final, I thought was a good final. Okay? It was a good final. The Western Conference Final was okay. But yeah, you had the better matchup in the second round. But if you're in the third round of the playoffs, that means you are better than the second round team, technically speaking, because you made it farther. So innately, that matchup should be better because you are a better team. Just just baseline. You should you should be the better team. So, like the whole the whole thing with diluting the the talent uh, the talent pool. Yeah, I think is just it's a bad point. It's entirely a bad point because like everything that I just said, it, it's more the fact that you have a problem with the point distribution, and that is something I can firmly agree with you on. You will get no quarrels from me about that because do I want to see a team like we talked about this last episode? Do I want to see Columbus a four, you know, four points out of a quote wild card spot because they have six overtime wins or losses or whatever? So you still get a you get the give me point. No, I hate that system. They should give three points for a win, and that's it. Like just just round it up more, give more because the teams that are winning games naturally like like. I mean, I, I think until this last two weeks, Toronto didn't have an overtime loss. Mm-hmm. Period. They were like straight nineteen and eight and oh. <laughs> like and they were one of the best teams in the league because it's just they were playing better. They're winning their games in regulation. They're winning their games when you're supposed to. They're winning the games when you have the incentive. But there is no incentive to win a game in regulation versus overtime. So it's like you see the last like five, six minutes of a game is 
in a tie game, it's probably the worst hockey you're ever going to watch. Just being honest, because yeah. both teams are are kind of pussyfooting around, dumping the puck in, not taking very many chances unless it's later in the season and they know they need to play for the win. So if you give the incentive to play for three points for a win, I think you'd see more teams go cutthroat in the last ten minutes of a game, and it would stop that process of playing playing the you know the one four and and the really hard like just run back into me, stack the blue line, dump the puck in kind of play style which i hate no i I agree i actually my my argument isn't i guess you're right the talent dilution isn't the problem but what i'm thinking is is that if we were to go to a three two one system or a two and you know one like i don't know a system that favored wins instead of overtime wins what scares me and the reason i think it's a talent dilution is that you would see these teams become even more irrelevant and there'd be even then that then they get rewarded in the yeah, draft. Then we then. have a stupid draft lottery. We don't have an actual like worst team gets first pick, which I also hate. Then we change the that, draft lottery, and now we're getting into some real change that actually would make this league a t- thousand times more watchable. Yeah, because if you look at teams like the M, look at like leagues like the NBA. Okay, I don't like the NBA per talent and for things like that. But the one thing that I respect a lot of these teams, when they lose, they put out a roster, they lose, and they get rewarded, and they they are better within two to three years minimum. NBA generally. also has a draft. Philadelphia Sixers literally just did yeah. that. Like they tanked for three straight seasons, and now they are one of the best teams in the league. I I like clearly can acknowledge that. And if more teams in the NHL actually took advantage of this system. Which I know the NHL is very prideful on competition. They don't want to technically throw, as we like to call it in the esports world, just throw away your games. But in the same sense, if you can throw and get a guy like Austin Matthews, <laughs> like why wouldn't you do that? That is a guaranteed generational talent, almost, almost basically generational talent for one season of a, one losing season. You you set yourself up for five to it's, seven it's, years. It's why would so you do consistent that, that you know, I don't know. The thing is, is like. This is the problem with the NHL. We have these two good ideas, but their solution to the 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 lack of you know competition at the top was well, just add another team. You see what I'm saying? Like that. That's my problem. Is not that these real world good solutions. I don't exist. think they're they, adding. They added a team for money. Like they're just like money, 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 yeah. money, 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 <laughs> and that's why the systems exist. That's why the overtime win exists because. The more teams that we think, the more teams that the average dumb fan, no offense to the people listening, you're not dumb, you're listening to this show, obviously you're not dumb, but the average stupid fan is going to see, oh, well, we're three points out of a playoff spot, we're, we're relevant. No, the fuck you're not. I'm sorry. But there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with thinking your team is still in it. If you technically are mathematically still in it, that's not the fault of the fan. No, it's the fault of the system. That's the fault yes, of the exactly. NHL. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, that's exactly what I'm saying is that, like, we have a league that's, like, Prior, that's main focus seems to be money at all costs. You know, money at all costs, overriding competition, overriding having a good league, money first. But I mean, the NFL does. The it. NFL has probably the most competitive league of all the four. I would disagree. There's four teams that maybe have a shot to win the Super Bowl. No, I think and that's probably it. closer to ten. There's there's three top teams, but top teams get eliminated in the postseason in the NFL. Man, it's like. It's like clockwork. It happens every year. The Saints get the Minnesota Miracle or something like that happens. Fuck, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl last year. Like, weird shit happens in the NFL, but the point is, is like, on any given Sunday, there's a reason that's a phrase. But then if you want, that means that the talent is more diluted in the NFL or than the Or it's more NHL. evenly distributed because there's more positions and more of a funneling system for them because it's easier to play football than it is to play hockey. 
I mean, they, they yeah. have the entire NCAA, which has what seven thousand teams. That's a whole another. I was gonna say the NCAA wormhole. has what seven seventy two hundred teams, right? I believe it's it's. Something. I think it's north of ten thousand I mean, teams. S- Division one, I think, is one hundred and fifteen. They have such a good funnel, and I would kill for that that access. I mean, we have quote unquote the same college system, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. Division one hockey is is very elite. There's only like maybe. 12 to 15 programs that actively put out NHL talent in a 20 year span. That's really bad. That's really bad. But mm-hmm. you know, okay. And I, but that that's a system. That's a circumstance. A system. All right. So let's talent. move into the fun part of Seattle. Cause we, we can go back and forth on talent all day and point system, but we mostly at the base agree the point system's fucked and it seems to be prioritizing money over actual skill or competition. Is that fair to say? Okay. Fair. Let's let's move to the fun part of this. The the part of it that I think is the coolest part is like, what the hell is this team going to be called? What are they going to look like? Because I like the idea of going with a name that's off off kilter, like the Kraken, like you pointed out in the pre-show, or the Emeralds, or the Evergreens, something like that. Or the even the Eagles is a little, it's a, it's a football name, but it's different. You know what I mean? The Rainiers. We can't go Eagles. That's There's too many the teams. Rainiers. Eagles. I I think the one thing that I like is just like a lot of the the newer style NHL teams they they very much pay a tribute to the areas that they're created in. I really respect that cuz at first when I saw Vegas's colors I was like, "Okay, like I can rock with that." And then I saw the jersey and I hated it at first, but now the jersey is completely Same. grown on me. It's Same. one of my favorites. And then they used different color different color equipment for home and away for the baseline equipment, which generally they never do. They always keep it solid, which is yeah. kudos. They're they're figuring it out that style is a very important thing and it'll catch people, especially on the on the the pro stock hockey gear aftermarket. <laughs> now like, you have two of everything. Vegas gloves are hot commodity. Yeah, and I like that. And I think in keeping with that, if the Seattle team was to go with something like the Rainiers or the Kraken or the Sea Lions or the Whales or even the Totems or the Emeralds and go with, you know, stick. It was proposed in the article by, by uh, what's her name? ESPN's writer, uh, Emily Kaplan. Uh, it was proposed in the article and pointed out very well, use the colors they have. You know, Seattle, like one of the things I like about Pittsburgh as a city is their teams are just black and yellow, period. Penguins, Steelers, uh, Pirates, all black and yellow. I really like that. And I think that if you were to cons- if you were to be consistent like that with the NHL going into hockey and copy the uh, the Seahawks colors, get that nice navy and ni- like navy and silver and neon green. It would be something we don't have in the league right now. And it would be completely. You- yes, Ooh. you do. You have the opposite of that literally across the border from you in 15 miles. The Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, they have the neon green that's with like the a, blue. That's it's like a literally, It's the same color palette opposite. No, it's it's literally the same it's, colors. It, is that neon green? Like, I didn't think it was neon green. I thought it was like a nude, like a, a plain green. Well, it's, it's you're not going to have a neon green on a jersey. That doesn't print well, one. That's just not going to happen from a like design standpoint. That's not going to happen. You can't go that that bright of a green and print it massively on that subliminate material. That just doesn't happen. That's why you don't see it. It looks awful. Um, no, you're I didn't fine. mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think if we're going to go colors, the first two that I thought of were like the green, the green I can rock, right? Because the green in some aspects, if you change it or if you if you tone it maybe a little darker, but then you accent, because when I was thinking of a logo, I thought of Krakens immediately and I thought purple. 
So green, purple, and like so the silver, Ducks. I think would be really good. Kind of, yeah. Without the yellow, I think okay. would be really good. And maybe if they want to throw in yellow as like a like a, a, a secondary accent, because when you're doing the logos, generally, especially mascot logos, if they do the mascot design style, your outline is supposed to be the boldest part of the logo. So generally, that's your darkest color. So I would think maybe they would do dark green, but then dark green is lighter than purple technically on the hue skill like we're getting really complicated no, sorry it's just my design stuff coming out but i think honestly if they did it with like a like two two tones of either two tones of purple or two tones of green could work either way like a darker green and a lighter green and then a darker purple and a lighter purple especially on the shading I what if we swap really cool. the silver for a gold i think we can't do gold we just did vegas with gold we gotta oh, get away shit, from you're gold. right i'm just we got you gotta separate it like, that's the one thing I liked about the first four expansion teams in the early 2000s. They all had different colors. Every single one of them was a different color palette. And the one thing that the NHL does not do well is complementary colors. They stay away from things like that. There's very few teams in the NHL that use the complementary color scale mm-hmm. on the color wheel, and it kind of irks me, but I get it. It's because white is never a complementary color, but I understand you need white mm-hmm. for away. Or, like, a lighter color for a way. I wish the NHL would start doing where, like, some of these other leagues do. Like, in the NFL, you see it a lot. Like, they'll use gray for an away color. Or they'll use, like, a lighter tone color for an away jersey. Like, that would be really nice. Instead of just completely get away from white. Some of these teams, or maybe their third jersey is their lighter alternate away jersey. I would like that, I won't too. see an alternate for probably three years after they exist, unfortunately. I would like to see anything. Honestly, I, I know that it's two years away, but... Just get to it quick. Honestly, you could do something. I mean, Austin Matthews pointed out pretty funnily or pretty comically. Call them the Supersonics. Fuck it. Like, the Supersonics team screwed <laughs> that city over as a whole. Like, I don't know if you know the saga of the Supersonics and how they were just like, we're leaving. You know, we're yeah. leaving. So that, that'd be a nice little ode to the city. And then you could just, your branding is all there. You just switch it to hockey. Although you would then have the Minnesota Wild part too. So then you have a problem. But you could change that to fit that like purple and green color palette and have it be the supersonic still, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit anything, but it just, it's more of like an ode to the city. I think colors are less of an issue for me. Like when they, well, they spend a long time analyzing and, and figuring out color palettes for these teams. That is one thing I never generally disagree with because they, they really invest into that aspect. Like I read the whole, I read the whole artist mock-up of the Vegas team when it came out and why they chose the colors they did, the saturation, even down to, like, the hue code that they chose for the colors that just made complete sense and they broke everything down. So it's like, okay, I imagine the same thing's going to happen with Seattle. If anything, the team name is almost as irrelevant. It's the mascot. What is the mascot going to look like? Is it going to be really bold and a lot of detail or is it going to be really straightforward, which is the design trend right now with everything is very minimalistic and straightforward. That is the Think current the design Golden Knights, a knight in a badge, or a knight in a crest. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the NHL. They have very crusty logos. Like, sports, modern sports logos in general are very simplistic in shape, and they're generally crest or badge-shaped. Mm. Because it's very easy to embroider that, one, because it's it's just mm. a natural shape. And two, things of, of simpler nature sell just innately better than anything complicated and with weird colors. Here's what I don't want to see. And then we'll move out of this topic because we went super long. Here's what I don't want to see. Another fucking stripey ass classic jersey. I don't like, you know, if you keep scrolling in this article down near the bottom, 
there was uh, a contest that ESPN held, and here's our contest winner, and it's the Seattle Pilots, and it's the worst, quite possibly the worst set of colors I've ever seen, with like an off light red, and off a baby blue, and then like a flat blue, and then yellow, and the jerseys, I I don't Saint like Louis it. Blues. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I I can't I I cannot express enough how much I hate this this color combination and the way this looks in general. If if this is what this ends up being, this version of the Seattle Pilots or some version like this where it's just plain straight stripes with nothing new and nothing unique, I will be furious because that's what I that's the one thing even though like I said I initially hated the Golden Knights jersey, the one thing I could never discredit it for, it was completely unique. And that's one thing I'll give them credit for. And yep. I, I want more of that. I don't like, oh, throwback, 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 throwback. Everything like it used to be. But whatever. Just don't don't cater to that, please. And for the love of God, ignore that online petition to call them the Whalers. <laughs> please. Uh, okay. Let's jump into our next topic. Uh, our next topic is Tom Wilson. Because we, we, we... I want to close the book on him. And I think Ryan Reeves did it perfectly for us. Because... He has haunted this show from the beginning of the season with his suspension to his repre- uh, his uh, appeal to his the reduction of his suspension to his immediate destruction of a player as soon as he got back on the ice because he's a piece of shit. And the Ryan Reeves hit was my favorite gif or jif or whatever you want to call it of that night. And the fact that Ryan Reeves went and signed a bunch of photos of him flattening Tom Wilson, even though they ended up getting destroyed at a local... Uh, merchandise shop makes me so happy and i i really just wanted your reactions we didn't get a chance to talk about it and i kind of wanted it on air like how you felt watching ryan reeves completely flatten tom wilson okay i need to preface this by saying i don't want to see anybody in the modern era get a concussion even if it's tom wilson just just being honest because that's the whole argument of everything we're against in that sentiment but is it funny that karma happened to him absolutely and it's by one of the best karma givers in the league Ryan Reeves, just being honest. Um, and they've had a long-standing battle for the last few years. So, I mean, I can. they've had kind of a beef for a while, and it's it's always interesting to see Reeves come out on top of that. But, I mean, does it suck that it happened in that instance where he got a concussion? Yeah, because I don't want to see anybody get a head injury. Like, that's just that's yeah. to me. Yeah, that's a bummer that his head was the first thing to hit. Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of the biggest people that is for making these kind of things season-long suspensions when you make these kind of plays and, and purposely injure somebody because that's not hockey. You're going out of your way to hurt somebody. That's not the fundamental nature of, of hockey, in my opinion. Maybe it's some of these ben, you know, beer leagues where half these people don't grow up playing hockey, so they're like, I'm just going to run this guy over because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, that's, that's like whatever. But you're in the highest level of elite competition, and you're going out of your way to hurt somebody when you're like 6'4", 225 pounds, moving at 30 kilometers an hour. Like... I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't really believe I'm not me. Really I know my team train. is now the team that fights the most in the league. Unfortunately, we have the most fights already. Yeah, yeah, That's most fights by one. We took it over uh, Saturday night. Uh, I, I don't Florida. know. Who the, I think no, the Rangers were number two. Rangers have nine. Rangers. We have ten okay. because, of course, the Red Wings can't win, so they'll just punch you. Anyways, let's get off this topic. Let's jump into the more interesting thing to me. Uh, we did a show two weeks ago about how the NHL does not fire GMs. And so the NHL immediately fired a GM, Ron Hextall of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I'll quote the article just because it's the easiest way to sum it up because Wyshynski's a good writer. 
When the Philadelphia Flyers fired general manager Ron Hextall on Monday, they cited a philosophical impasse as the catalyst. Hextall believed his plan was the correct one to lead the team to postseason success as the Flyers sought their first Stanley Cup since 1975 and first playoff round victory since 2012, but ownership had a different timeline and methodology in mind. Quote uh, by David Scott, chairman and chief executive officer of Comcast Spectator, he was very confident in his plan and his vision. He wasn't going to waver from that plan. Do I think we can do better as a team now? Not two or two years or three years from now, but now I think the answer is yes. And uh, to save myself from re- re- reading this article on air, I don't want to do that. But I actually don't know where I stand on this because I think a lot of the moves Hextall has made have made this team better. I think the the Flyers now are a better team than they were five years ago. I think they're in a much better place. I think they have much more depth. I think they have a promising future. Have they ever solved their goaltending problem? No, they don't. I don't think they ever fucking will for some reason. But I don't think that that's the fault of the general manager in this one specific case. I think Philly's built really well. I think they're maybe a piece away from being completely relevant. But at the same time, while I say all of that, that's with the undercurrent that I also completely respect any ownership group that's like, fuck this, let's do something different. So I kind of agree with that. Like, I kind of agree with like, yeah, you know, he he put us in a good spot. You know, he did the right things, but like, we need to we need that extra step, and he just doesn't seem to have it. I don't think. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, like I can respect a man, uh, like a management team that's just like, yeah, you're doing great, but we want more. And and some people, when they have that, they cite that philosophical reason. It's generally always this GM has this plan, and he's not going to kick off that plan. <laughs> he just he's gonna rock it till death so it's just kind of like you know that's great that you're that solidified to the plan but the plans need to be flexible especially in today's nhl when you know somebody's a hit away from being knocked down for a whole year what if claude Giroux gets knocked down for a whole year you know god bless it doesn't happen because i love claude Giroux. i think he's a great hockey player but like if that happens what's your backup plan who are you going to go trade for what are you going to replace who do you have in the pipeline and if you're sticking to your plan and that and and you don't adjust, according to ESPN's Chris Peters, the Flyers have the ninth best prospect pipeline. Just worth noting. Yeah, I mean top ten. That's yeah. I'm cool with that. I mean, I I think what they've done with the draft the last few years is, is definitely. I mean, Go Shane Gossespierre, you know, ta- Gossespierre, uh, Konecki, you know, getting rid of Philpola, dumping yeah. that contract. I I mean. You know, they've rewarded some guys with contracts that I don't necessarily think that have been the greatest, like Brian Elliott. That's that was a sham. That's one that's an X against. But I I think overall he did a good job to set them up, but that's with that's a, any kind of job. Like, you know, if you're not doing exactly what the person above you wants them to do, you're liable to probably It's get almost X like if you point. could have combined Hextall Hextall's like planning with Brian Burke's execution. As much as I hate Brian Burke, and I think Brian Burke is not the answer for Philly, that man is not afraid to pull the trigger on anything. And if you could combine those two, you would have the perfect GM for that team. Like, a guy who clearly knows how to manage his assets, who clearly knows how to build a team, but is a little bit timid when it comes to actually, like, pulling the trigger on some big moves, combined with a guy who doesn't know how to build a team for shit, but will definitely make any trade absolutely whenever possible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> didn't that wasn't he one of the guys who traded for? Uh, uh, yeah, but he's also so. the guy who uh, got the Sedins on the same team and successfully traded Phil Kessel. 
So yeah. I mean, he 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 has ups and downs. And I'm not saying he should be their GM at all, but I'm just saying that concept of like a guy who's like, "Fuck it, this is the idea we're doing it." Like that that respect. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing in the meantime. I think they just have a uh, somebody like an assistant stepped up and Fletcher. I think okay. it's Fletcher. It's not great. It's you know it, it, this more of anything. I would be scared if I was Hackstall. Uh, that's who I would be afraid if I was <laughs> like, oh shit, I'm probably gone soon too. Then, yeah, I think if anything, it's probably an, like I don't expect it to be maybe long term. I'm saying they're probably do their search in the off season. But that's the weird thing about the NHL. Out of out of like a handful of guys, like you, you probably can't name me more than five NHL GMs off the top of your head. Huh. Um, yeah, maybe you might be able to, but ninety percent of the NHL fan base probably can't no. do that. Well, and one, like, do you know? Do you know the name of the Toronto? Uh, it's Lubba or Lebba. Uh, I forget. He's like a Dubas. No, yeah, Kyle sorry. Dubas. He's a kid though. He's like thirty-two or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, he's like the youngest GM in history, basically. But like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the common NHL fan is not gonna. It's not like the NFL. Everybody knows their GM. Everybody knows almost every mm-hmm. other team's GM, and 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 it's like a prolific thing because a lot of these people. Our long-term stays on their Well, teams. and another aspect of NHL teams, and this is something that uh, should be concerning going forward in regards to who ends up getting this job, is that it's kind of circular. They kind of get passed around from team to team to team to team to team. And, you know, just, just even if you just look at the list of the names rumored for consideration, Ron Francis, former GM of the Carolina Hurricanes, Chuck Fletcher, former GM of the Minnesota Wilds, Steve Greeley, current assistant general manager for the Sabres, and two former Flyers players in Chris Pronger, and Daniel Briere. Um, I don't know if I agree with any of those. I I I can't say that I have a better solution, uh, because I don't necessarily know what it takes to make a great GM. Because we've seen good GMs come from all places. You know, we say the player model doesn't work, but Joe Sakic, you know, ate shit for a couple years and turned the Avalanche into a contender. Uh, Steve Eiserman turned the Lightning into a like an absolute perennial powerhouse. Uh, you know that doesn't necessarily pan out too well because it it doesn't always work, and then sometimes we see the young guy not necessarily work out too well, like in Arizona. I mean, yeah, they are doing okay, but they're not what they should be. But then you got Kyle Dubas in Toronto is like we're the best fucking team, period. So I don't necessarily know who ha- who it is to fix this team, but I, what I would say is my only word of warning before we before I let you speak and then we'll change topics is. I hope it's not just another generic old guy that's already been on like three other teams. Like, don't don't give me another Ken Holland, basically. I I feel like that's what the NHL needs to start doing. They need to start getting younger talent in the management side of things around this because if they do, you're going to start propelling more generally amazing ideas. Like, you're going to have just people that are going to take risks and do different things. Your dog's excited. So, it's okay. We're talking about GMs. I respect uh, that. I guess. Um. Okay. Uh, let's talk about your your team. Let's talk about they finally made a move and finally pulled the trigger on the Nylander signing. And I'm wondering if at oh, what was it six million a year? Six point six point so nine seven is is <laughs> what's, six what's your point stance nine. On this? Because for me, he hasn't been on the ice for any of the goals that they've had against since he joined the team. I think you pointed that out to me on on. I hate that what? stat. <laughs> I said I fucking hate that stat. <laughs> it's so arbitrary. He didn't get scored on, but he's played yeah. like eleven yeah, minutes. Yeah, but a he, game. that's what I was gonna say. But he's not playing that much, and 
you know, where do you stand on this? Was he was he worth seven million to you? I mean, I know we always say you know, get your money where you can, respect that, but I think it's hard because as a Toronto fan, I want to see the guy because he's had a, he's definitely had, you know, an inkling for why the team has been successful the last year or so, year or two. You know, with with Austin Matthews, he's had very good chemistry with him, but this year they haven't had him, and they're the best team in the league basically. <laughs> and it's kind of been like, do you rock that boat now? Like, do, do you do that? Like, they even like in a game against Detroit earlier this week. Like, I literally watched Mike Babcock be like, no, nah, we're going to go back to the way the lines were. And then they came back and scored like three goals in like eight minutes. Like, they just came back and forced that game into overtime when they were down like four yep. to one or something at one point. So I, I just don't, I don't know if he's worth that kind of money to hamstring your cap to that extent. But then it's like you played that game. He's going to go somewhere else. He's going to make $10 million and maybe he bites you in the ass. But then again, when you're Toronto and you have this much talent for being that bad for that long, I guess that's a good problem to have. So, and you bit the, you bit the bullet and did it. I respect respect it, it. but I also think that there is a, there is a a part of me that thinks that this reads to me like sort of like Matthew Stafford with the Lions, where it's like, you haven't been good in a while. So when you get a piece that you, you got, you drafted him, you found him, you don't want to wonder what if. So you secure the, you secure the bag regardless of, uh, worth or actual value because you don't want to know what if you you your what if will be he's on our team. Yeah, and I mean I I think as as just as a bystander too, you look at how like the team is structured and you're like, did we really need it? But then again, you're like, do I want to be without it? That's the Matthew like, Stafford argument no. right there. That is exactly the Matthew Stafford argument. Do we need Matt Stafford as a Lions fan? If you were a Lions fan, I mean, as an objective viewer, no, I don't think you do. I think you can find a better quarterback. But do you want to live without a quarterback that is considered, quote-unquote, top 10, top 15 or whatever? No, because we've seen what that's like, too. You know, So it's like I get, I get wanting to keep the guy that you found that puts up almost a point per game. But is it is it because you wanted that play? That's the question I, I we we can't answer today. But it's just the question I had when I saw the signing. Did you did do you think they kept him because he will add to their team when they already have offensive prowess out the ass and they needed more defensemen? No offense intended. Or was it they don't want to know what it's like without him? I mean, if anything, I think it's they don't want to do without him. But in the same sense, this still structures the team that they have an abundance of something. And they always can use that abundance. Who knows? Because I can't remember if there's a no movement trade. Yeah, at I actually all don't remember that, either. That contract, I can't remember. It, but that could be an interesting thing. Where, yeah, they signed him. They could have signed him and traded him. Be like, yeah, you wanted to hold on. Here's your money. But now we're gonna send you to Arizona. <laughs> that's that's something that I personally probably would have done. Just, but I'm kind of an a hole when it comes to things like that because it's like I get that it's a business, but in some sense, if you're gonna disrespect us and hold out when you don't have any legs to hold out on. That's what I was kind of I was kind of great that they literally waited till last minute to sign him. I think that's a victory on Toronto's side because it's like we only have to give in now we're giving you because we want to give you. And he he declined the original he signed the original offer mm-hmm. that Toronto gave him. So I mean, Toronto kind of was looking like we're going to hold out and it is what it is. If we got to trade you, I guess we'll trade you, but we don't want to do that. We want you here. But if you want to be how you're going to be without any legs, like could you imagine if that would have unfolded where he gets sent to a team like Arizona or LA? The worst teams or, in the league. You know, bottom yeah, bottom five team in the league, and it just like, well, you wanted your money, here you go. And then they meet in the Stanley Cup Bye. finals. 
Yeah, which is what yeah, they I not. think this is the fear. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about other guys who have fear of movement. Uh, Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel, the rumors are swirling because Pittsburgh has been struggling. I don't know what their record is right now, but I know at one point they were on a seven-game losing streak. I, I know you're pulling it up. I, I said that so you would. Um, <laughs> but just, you know, when you look at Phil Kessel and you, you look at the, the – this is, again, this is kind of – the down the road version of what Toronto could end up becoming is you have this team built with offensive prowess with nothing to speak of defense and a goalie who has no shot. So it doesn't matter if they're good or not because their defense is garbage. Um, so you look at a guy like Phil Castle, who I'm pretty sure has not missed a game since 2010. Just looking at his games played, it's 40, it's 82, 82, 82. And the only one was 48, but I think in 12, 13, we had a shortened season. So I think it was only a 48 game season. So, uh, he's played every single game. He he obviously has a lot of value. He has a bit of a cap hit, 6.8. Uh, no offense, but I think I'd rather have Phil Kessel than William Nylander at that value. Um, because last season he had 92 points. I mean, this is a guy who just is a monster point getter. He, every year he's pretty much over 60. Uh, you know, He's probably the long-term version of Nylander, to be honest. A guy that uh, nobody expects much of, but he puts up nonsense points. Um he had his best season of his career last year, and he's not failing this season. Through 28 games, he has 33 points. Uh, this is a guy who's not letting anybody down in my in in my book. I would not say Phil Castle is a letdown, as much as he looks like a human cheeseburger, um, or a human beer burb. But that being said, you know the question on the table is: Should they trade him, and what can they get for him? Also, did you pull that record up? Yeah, they are. Sitting at a crisp 12, 10, and 6 right now with 30 points. They are three points behind Montreal for the wild card in the East. So, not terrible. Not good, though. But then again, again, they're literally one point out of third place in the division. Point system. (laughs) So, (laughs) that Metropolitan division, man, is a little iffy. Um, Especially, like, Washington finally came out of the cellar and was like, yeah, I guess we'll learn how to play hockey for (laughs) a a week or two. Um, But, yeah, like... Phil Kessel, I think, is one of those things that dealing with him, how I've dealt with him, is I always thought he was a good hockey player, and he was very underappreciated in Toronto. He carried that team for quite a few years. Tyler Bozak is a saint playing with him for a while. Um, I think if you're going to... Yeah, I mean, I legitimately, if I was Pittsburgh, and the situation that you're dealing with right now, I wouldn't look at being a playoff team as a positive thing, generally, for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I want Pittsburgh to be well and do things, but... You've kind of had your run of success for a few years now, and if you, if you like slide down a little bit to maybe put yourself in a little bit of a better draft situation, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Shedding some salary and getting some draft picks in the process, and maybe a prospect or two. Why not? Um, I think it would be easy to move him because, especially closer to the trade deadline time, I see that probably being a rental situation. I can't remember how many years he has left on his contract. I think I it's like a year up. or two. So I don't. Yeah, so I don't know if it's like a, a rental situation, but if it wasn't a rental situation, you're probably going to get far less or far more for him because it'd be a long-term kind of situation setting him somewhere. But um, I think shedding that kind of money off your off your cap would be a good idea. Oh, oh seven just, million dollars, just, just seven million speaking. dollars. I mean, not much. It's, yeah, it's not the most. Seven million. Uh, pulling up his contract right now, by the way. I was going to say, I can see him going to a team in the Western Conference that needs just a little bit more padding and scoring, like maybe Minnesota, because they have the assets. Uh, maybe a team like St. Louis, if they're looking to maybe push themselves up a little bit. You know, maybe reigniting what the Bozak, yes, uh, 
because he went to St. Louis, right? For sure. Yeah, it was reigniting the Bozak Kessel, mm-hmm. which was a very successful line, by the way. At that one, it was a top three line in the NHL for about four right, years. Phil Kessel is Point signed wise. through twenty twenty one twenty two at six point eight mil. Yeah, so I mean, if you're going to a team like St. Louis, Minnesota, a contending perennial, we'll say contending loosely, perennial team, then I think you could probably get a pretty good return out of that. But the only problem is both of those teams don't have the greatest farm systems. So your prospects might be bleak. And then if you're trying to get higher-end draft picks, you're not really Probably not, no. I mean, I think it's frustrating because... In my heart, I would say if I was a Pittsburgh fan or the Pittsburgh GM, I probably wouldn't move him. You know who I just thought of would be a really good, uh, needs needs a scorer like him that doesn't have one? Nashville. Oh, Nashville. Yeah. And, you, That's and their they piece. certainly have defense to burn. That's their like piece. They certainly have players that they can move. Yeah, and then Nashville and Pittsburgh have made yeah, trades Neal, in the last right? two years. A few times. I think so? Or no, James Neal? Yeah. yeah I mean, they, yeah, they, they're willing so, to yeah. move guys like of that ilk. And I think, I mean, you'd have to do it for probably a, sec, a top four defenseman and probably a second round pick. I think that's fair to ask in return. Yeah. Yeah, Second that's, third, I think that's the okay move that. that they should make. Because if, if I'm the Penguins in this situation, I'm not moving Kessel for anything short of that. Like, I want a top four defenseman who can grow into a top two. Like, a guy who's a legit contender to be a really good defenseman long term. The only problem is Nashville is not going to trade concern. that for that piece. They're not going to sacrifice They're not going to sacrifice that. So in, and then, in that instance... I would opt for draft picks. If they're going to throw me four draft picks for that, then maybe I'd rock that. Yeah. Because you want to rebuild. No, but I'm not saying Pittsburgh close. needs to rebuild. Yeah. The, but the cupboard is bare. The cupboard closed up shop years ago because they traded for Phil Kessel. I mean, let's be honest. that They... They... How do you even describe it? They They sold what they had to make what they have. And what they have is a successful franchise who... Won back-to-back cups for the first time in 20 years. Uh, and I think as much as it would pain me being the GM, I think it's Sutherford of uh, Pittsburgh. Or Rutherford, sorry. Uh, it would suck to trade Phil Kessel. It would be a punch in the, the gut. But that's that's what Phil Kessel is. He's good enough to be tradable, which is unfortunate for a guy of that ilk. But it's fortunate if you have that asset. You know, he's he's in that category, guys, who they're not they're not he's neither Steve Eiserman nor Eric Stahl. So he's neither good enough to be untradeable, nor is he meaningful enough to any one franchise to be untradeable. So he's just in this limbo of like, I'm, I guess I'm worth assets. And I think I would have to trade him if I was if I was in this situation. You want to maintain the longevity. That's how you do it. Yep. Realizing that you have a piece that's that's profitable and it's if it's the hot time to move it and you're going to get the most yeah. value for it do it i mean the nhl's like we just discussed this the nhl's kind of a business like you, every piece is has a value even if you're not looking to move the value knowing the value is the value. important I do. all right do you have anything else you want to get into before we wrap this up 
47 nah, minutes again. No, that was a good hearty episode. We keep going like so long. <laughs> I don't mean to. Uh, okay, well, if you guys like us going long, uh, by the way, according to our numbers, you in Canada like us going long. Thank you, Canadians. Uh, <laughs> for sure. She's long, eh? Uh, I ask, as I do every week, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us under SRD Hockey. It is this show, and it is our sister show, Spinning the Wheels. Uh, we're on every week. Uh, if you're not into iTunes, you can check us out on TuneIn, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Facebook. It's everywhere. You, you can't not find us. Just search SRD Hockey. You can follow the brand on Twitter at Sports Radio DET. Our sister show at STW underscore SRD. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JM Pinkham. Steve's on Twitter at Franchise GFX. Check out our website at SportsRadioDetroit.com. Thank you, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. This has been an SRD production.